Hello and welcome to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. In this episode, Joe continues our series in Ephesians, looking at the challenge of chapter 5 and what it looks like to fully submit ourselves to Christ. So I'm continuing our series on Ephesians this morning and I have to say I feel of like a weight of responsibility of preaching from um, chapter 5 and so yeah my prayer is really that the Holy Spirit would just take the words that I've got um, and breathe life into them helping us all better understand God's heart and his love for us um, and helping us really just to reflect that love better in our relationships with one another. So I thought it would be helpful just to recap on what we've learned about this letter to the Ephesians so far. So it's a circular letter, most likely, and it was written to a number of churches in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Um, In and around, those churches would have been in and around the city of Ephesus, but not necessarily just um, for one church in Ephesus. And Ephesus um, would have been a really important city in those days. It was on a port city, um, and it had a really key role in terms of business and administration and religion. So it's really kind of strategic place to be writing to. And this letter um, is one of two halves, really. So the first half that we've looked at really sets out the beautiful, awesome truths of who we are in Christ, of the new life that we have in Jesus, and of the new community that we're a part of in the church. And then the second half, which we're looking at at the moment, that talks about how we live out of um, that reality, of what difference um, those truths make in our lives. So two weeks ago, um, Tom was preaching on, from chapter four um, on the kind of um, how we pursue unity um, and purity in Christ. And he really focused just on that first verse of chapter four, where he says um, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And then the rest of chapter four and the start of chapter five um, unpacks and looks at what does it mean and what it doesn't mean for believers to walk in that way of love. And then Paul goes on in the second half of chapter five and into chapter six to consider specifically about what this looks like in the context of household relationships. So this week, we're going to be looking at the mutual love and submission in Christ. And I have to say, those songs, John, that we've been playing this mor- singing this morning have been amazing and just like so spot on in terms of what, I want, what I'm going to be talking from. So yeah, the Lord is amazing at how he kind of works these things together. Um, and yeah, I just want to say up front, there are two... Um, I drew a lot of material from um, a guy called Tim Mackey, who's at the Bible Project, and Andy Smith of Belfast City Vineyard. And their material on this chapter I found really, really helpful. So if you want to kind of look at this in any more detail, those were really helpful um, people I found um, at looking at this chapter. So we're going to look first and foremost at what this means for all of us who are followers of Jesus, and then look specifically at what this means in the context of marriage. So for those of you who aren't married, and maybe your first thought about this chapter is, this isn't going to be relevant for me, please think again. This is very much a message for each one of us, because Paul was writing to all followers of Jesus, not just husbands and wives. And he says in verse 32, that this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So there's so many lessons to be learned here um, about how Jesus sees all of us as his church, as his bride. It talks of how he loves us as part of his church, of how he relates to us, of how we should relate to each other as well. 
out of the overflow of that love. So I'd really encourage you um, to kind of press in and, and um, yeah, hear what the, what the Lord wants to say to you today. And I'm also aware that this can be viewed as a really controversial um, passage as well, and understandably so, you know, due to the way that it's been misused, due to the abuse that um, women have experienced through the misinterpretation um, of this passage. So I'm here today um, on a day that we're celebrating mothers in the church. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here as a female leader, I'm here as a wife, and most importantly, I'm here as a beloved daughter of the king. And I'm really sorry if you are here today and you've been hurt by these passages in the past, if they've been used against you to belittle you or even to keep you in an abusive relationship, that is not in line with God's heart and that is not what Paul's intention in these passages are. And so I just want to say, if you're, even if you're in the midst of that situation right now, um, I, can be, you know, I realize it can be really hard to talk about, but I'd encourage you to come and talk to me, talk to Nicola, talk to your life group leaders. We'd love to pray with you and walk with you through that. And there's one more thing, sorry, this is a bit of a long introduction, um, but there's one more thing I'd like us to do this morning, and that's just to take off our cultural lenses, to put down assumptions maybe that we've had about this passage of how we've heard it before, and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you afresh this morning. I believe and I trust that as we do, we're going to find beauty and love in these verses in fresh ways. And I also feel that some of us, myself included, will be convicted of things, of attitudes, of words, of actions that we need to repent of and give to Jesus. You know, it's really important when we come across these uncomfortable passages in the Bible, not to um, throw them out, ignore them, or even to try and change them. We need to press in. We need to understand and we need to ask questions. And a good starting place to do this is to look at the the context in which the author, in this case, Paul, was writing, what was the point that he was trying to make to those early disciples, and how is that applicable to us today? So I'm just going to pray again, and as I do, I just invite you to spend some time with Jesus and take off anything that may hinder you from engaging and encountering him through this passage today. Lord, I thank you that your word is living and active. Lord, I thank you that it brings life. I thank you that you speak through your word. And I pray that this morning as I speak these words of this message that you've placed on me, Holy Spirit, would you take these words and would, you, would all of our hearts be open to receive and to respond to what you're asking and speaking to each of us today? Lord, anything that's not helpful, just let it slide by. But the things you want to um, birth in us and do in us, Lord, would you, would you settle them in our hearts, I pray. Amen. So I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, um, just because I like this, this version of it. Um, and yeah, I'd encourage you, I'm going to start from verse 18. So we're not going to read the whole uh, chapter, but I'd encourage you perhaps like later today or during the week just to read the whole thing because it is really good. So from, chapter, uh, from verse 18 of chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so there's two key thoughts here that I want us to look at today. One is love, and the other is submission. Paul begins chapter 5 by writing, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, the Greek language has lots of different expressions for the word love, many more than we do in English, and the word love here is agape. It's not talking about a kind of romantic, fluffy kind of love, but rather love as an action. It's a sacrificial love, a deep commitment to another's well-being. So before getting to the bit that's addressed to husbands and wives, Paul sets out what it looks like to practically, for followers of Jesus, to love one another in first century Roman culture. And then in verse 21, he summarizes what he's been saying with this phrase, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But before we go further, I feel like we should address the word submission. When you hear this word, what kind of reaction do you have? I'm guessing it could be quite negative. Maybe you feel it's oppressive or domineering. Perhaps you feel it's weak um, or passive. And maybe it means you have to be somebody that you're not. But that is not what Paul is getting at in this passage. Submission is a voluntary, willful act. It's not a command to obey. And Tim Mackey puts it like this. If love is committing yourself to act for the well-being of another, then submit is to put yourself under, to prioritize the other's well-being and interests over your own, so as to elevate them above yourself. They are both part of the same coin. Now, at this stage in the letter, who was Paul addressing these points to? It was to the whole community of believers. So the point is relevant for all of us today. This is about mutual submission to one another, and it comes out of the overflow of Jesus' love for us. We can prefer the other and prioritize their well-being over our own because we have all our needs met in Christ, because he gave his life for us. And we submit out of reverence for Christ because he demonstrated the greatest act of submission for us. Just before he was arrested, tried, and killed, Jesus spent time in prayer with his heavenly Father. And the prayer is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew 26, we read that Jesus Jesus prayed, um, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. 
And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. And then Luke adds to this in chapter 22. He says, um, and being in agony, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, Jesus submitted himself to the Father, and he clearly knew what was coming, and in his flesh, he didn't want to do it. He begged three times for that the Father would take this away. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that his Father was good and kind and loving and merciful. He knew that in order for the redemptive plan of humanity to be put into place, he had to drink this cup of God's wrath, of his anger, for the sin of all humanity. And he laid down his personal preference for the calling that he'd received. You know, when I read these verses, I don't see someone weak and passive. I see someone wrestling from a place of love to a point of blood, sweat, and tears to put others above himself, and then ultimately making the choice to do so. And out of this knowledge of his deep love for us, why would we not submit our ways to him? For me, it's usually pride and fear that stops me from submitting to him, from walking in his ways and his calling. But really, there's nothing to fear, as I know there's no greater love that he can show me, that he is for me, that he is with me. And similarly, when I think like this, my perspective changes. You know, if you did this for me, Jesus, who am I to push on with my own agenda rather than walk in that manner worthy of the calling to which I have been called? It took a while, but the story of how I became a follower of Jesus involved me finally acknowledging what Jesus had done for me and trusting him with the relationship that I'd had with my then boyfriend. I remember one night in December 2008, um, after years of wrestling this away with God, I finally surrendered to him. And two weeks later, that eight-year relationship ended but I knew God was the answer to my prayer. I knew that him as my rock and my provider, um, and I've known that ever since. And, you know, that was the start of, um, of other opportunities to surrender to him. I've surrendered jobs to him, to finances, other relationships to him. I've even moved across the country. And to be honest, it's something that I feel like God keeps teaching me. As soon as I've learned to surrender or submit one part of my life, you know, the Holy Spirit highlights something else that I need to give to Jesus. So it's an ongoing thing. And in this particular passage, you know, Paul is inviting us to love and submit to each other as well as the body of believers, of laying down our own preferences, ourselves and our, our ambitions, and acting out of a place of servanthood, humility and surrender. So that we, as we look specifically now at marriage, um, we must not forget that each of us is called to love and to submit to the other. And in a world and culture where we're told to put the self first, this teaching is as countercultural today as it would have been back then when it was first written. So now that we've understood what Paul was meaning by love and submission, let's look at the second half of the chapter in the context of that. 
Paul uses marriage and then other household relationships to give application to his point. So in the days that Paul was writing, um, society was dominated by the Roman culture, you know, where Caesar was at the top, the human representation of God on earth. And the closer you were to Caesar in the social hierarchy, the more value and respect and worth you were deemed to have. And the social hierarchy social structure went like this. So you had Caesar, you had his ruling elite, you had um, kind of working citizens, and then you had the freedmen who would have been slaves but then were freed. And then within that, you had the households. So the households would have included the wives and the children and slaves. So within that context of households, the husbands had total power in the family. But Paul turns this on its head. In Galatians chapter 3, he writes, all believers are children of God. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus and heirs according to the promise. He says that every human being is of equal and utmost worth and value. And in applying these truths, husbands would then have created a unique place of safety for their households in that culture. So Paul deliberately addresses the wives before he gets to the husbands in our passage for today. And that is to support that very point. By convention at the time, wives would have been addressed second to husbands. So by doing this, Paul is saying, wives, I see you. God sees you. He loves you. You're valued and you're important. Now, rather than the Roman social structure of that patriarchal family, Paul writes of the church being the new family of God the head of whom is not Caesar, but Christ himself. And here's the key point. As head of the church, Jesus doesn't use his position in an authoritative way to force us to serve him, but rather he loves us and serves the church. He gave his life for us. He put himself under us, under the church, by laying down his preferences for her, by committing to serve her and to make her that blemish-free bride. For generations, Tim Mackey explains that Christians have inserted into this passage where we see head, whatever definition of male authority was supplied to them by their cultural upbringing. But Paul doesn't say anything here about obedience, about different roles and specific roles wives should be playing on taking on, about servitude, about finances, about husbands having the final say. Instead, husbands are called to be the head of their wife, as Christ is the head of the church, by laying themselves down for her, by loving her and committing to her well-being so that she can flourish. And what does he challenge wives to do? Well, to reciprocate, to submit, to lay down her own preferences in favor of her husband's. And Mackie describes this kind of back and forth, mutual um, love, submission, and respect with each preferring the other as a beautiful gospel dance. If both husband and wife follow Christ and do this, who loses? Nobody. Instead, each is elevated in the relationship. So this was not only countercultural for the Roman days, but it is for us too. Christian marriage is not designed as a means of, to personal happiness or pleasure or gain, although hopefully it is. But instead, it's designed to reflect this agape, sacrificial love that Jesus displayed for his church and the church's love in return towards each other and to Christ. Now, this is my confession time. None of us are perfect. And even as I was preparing for this talk, um, I found myself 
speaking to Mike in a way which was disrespectful. And in response, actually, to something that he'd said where he was putting my desires over his own. So I then tried to put um, him first. And the whole thing kind of, um, I was yeah, dismissive of what um, he was trying to do. And, you know, the kind actions and the sacrificial actions that he was making towards me. And as a result, I'd hurt him. And, you know, this posture of preferring the other, it's not always easy, and we don't get it right all the time, but it is something that we should aim for and look to grow in. Our words have power to speak life or to take it. And I want to use my words and my actions for the good of Mike and also for the good of all of you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I want to... Um, see the best in Mike. I want to make him feel loved and valued and respected to choose his preferences and well-being over my own. And if I'm always trying to boost my own ego or ambition and make myself look good, that's only going to hurt him and hurt us. So wives, we're called to submit to our husbands, to respect him and champion him, honoring him with our words and conduct and building him up and not knocking him down. And husbands, you're called then to love your wives as Jesus loved the church, sacrificially and servant-heartedly. And it's from that place that, you know, the wives can then submit. In loving your wives in this way, you will help her to live out her life in the design that God gave her. And you're called to love her as you love yourself, nourishing her and cherishing her. Now, again, a silly example, but perhaps maybe helpful. Um, I'm more of an extrovert, and Mike's more of an introvert. And I didn't really realize this before we got married. Um, We'd lived kind of an hour away from each other, and so we only really saw each other at the weekends. So the fact that I was out most nights seeing friends for dinner or a gig or drinks after work didn't really impact my relationship with Mike. Um, And I I was going to bed about kind of 12, 1 in the morning, which if you know us now, that's like far from where we are. (laughs) Um, And then I was getting up at like 7.30 and getting into work by 9. However... And when we got married and I moved in to where Mike was living, I realized two things. One, Mike was a morning person. So he would get up at five o'clock in the morning to get to work for seven. But he'd also go to bed earlier. So he'd be in bed by 9.30, asleep by 10. So Mike sacrificially moved all of his clothes out of the wardrobe in the bedroom and put them into the wardrobe in the spare room so that he could get up in the morning without disturbing me. And then I, in turn, also shifted my patterns. So I would get up earlier in the morning. So we'd both be able to have a good night's sleep and not disturb each other when we were going to bed and getting up. The second thing that I realized was that Mike was an introvert. So me putting all these different social events in the diary every night of the week alongside his busy 12-hour-a-day job soon began to tire him out. But, you know, he wanted to do as many things as he could. He enjoys seeing people, obviously, and wanted me to kind of do the things that were bringing life to me as well. So knowing this and out of my love for him, I tried not to put as many things in the diary. Um, We tried to make sure that, you know, there were a couple of evenings free in the week where we weren't doing things so that I could put him and our marriage first. So like I say, some silly examples, but hopefully helpful to show the point. And Paul, you know, he extends this call for husbands to love their wives even further when we get to verses 28 to 32, when he calls the husband to love his wife as his own body, to look after her, to nourish her, to cherish her, to feed her, to care for her, so that she becomes all that she can be. 
And Paul relates this back to Genesis 2, saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's within the love, commitment, and security of this incredible relationship of marriage that God invites us to have a sexual relationship and to become one body between the husband and wife. They are no longer two, but one. And God's design for marriage is that it is indivisible. And in this section, Paul jumps around between talking about the husband and wife to Christ and the church, back to the husband and wife, and then back to the church and, um, and Christ again. But the point is that that physical union between husband and wife is reflective of the reality that's taken place between Christ and the church. In chapter 4, Paul explains that we are one in Christ, one body, one spirit. Paul expands this picture in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about all of us. Um, believers being the body of Christ. And as the husband and wife are one, so Christ and the church are one. And it's really hard sometimes to get our head around this, but that's why Paul calls it a profound mystery. By loving the church as himself, Jesus is making her beautiful and splendid, perfect, holy, blameless, sinless, and blemish-free. So Paul is talking to the entire church community and challenging all of us to consider the degree to which our lives are reflecting the truth and beauty of that mystery. So to sum up, in looking to Jesus and the way that he showed his love for us, we're called to live out of an overflow of that love where we submit our lives to him and where we love those around us in the church with that sacrificial love, where we set aside our preferences and choose to put others first. And where we are married, we are particularly reminded to honor and respect, cherish, love, and submit to the other. And in so doing, creating a beautiful reflection of the gospel in our lives and in our marriages. So I'm just going to wrap up, but perhaps the band could come up and just um, get ready to play one more song. But, you know, I feel that in terms of what God's maybe been doing in your heart and there might be other things that God's been speaking to you about but I feel that there are people here today and maybe God's been speaking to you about surrender and submission in response to Jesus's love for you there are things that you know you need to lay down maybe it's ambitions or dreams hopes or agendas perhaps he's been speaking to you and asking you to do something but you feel now's not well it's not really convenient right now um, and you're kind of holding on to that But submitting something to God means laying it down before him. And sometimes he will ask us to pick it back up. And sometimes he won't. And sometimes he'll give us other things to to pick up instead. But you know what? The best place to be is where he wants you to be. And if it feels hard and scary, he will be with you in it. I love um, Deuteronomy chapter 31, um, verse 6, where it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you.